Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello, and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. Happy February. I am so excited to be jumping into a new series on the podcast this month on sexuality and spiritual formation. I don't know about you, but these topics seem to be in the Christian context all too taboo, and I'm very passionate about bringing a voice and language to what we all are exploring and understanding and maybe even having a difficult time with. So, Let's dive in. As a disclaimer, though, this topic is one that I know can bring up so many different emotions for many of us. So my promise and prayer for this entire series is that we will gently explore the details of our design as sexual beings created by God with a hope for a space for grace and humility and understanding. Now, these topics are often polarized and weaponized in Christian contexts, which I'm deeply saddened by and pray that as we all become more honest and open about our own individual stories, we will be less likely to point fingers, hide pain, or use power in negative ways. So with that being said, I hope that with a little that I have learned and continue to learn, I may help us navigate the complexities of the conversation surrounding human sexuality and the beauty and goodness God has gifted us to possess within our bodies. So I will go first and say, as a single Christian female on the onset of my 30s, 
I have had to wrestle with many questions and challenges over the years regarding sexual ethics, sexuality, and its connection to my spirituality. If you were anything like me, maybe you too grew up in the purity culture era. For most of us, this experience included chastity pledges, purity rings, and more than one copy of Kiss Dating Goodbye. Now, I know that there are so many different views on purity culture, and there has been so much wounding that has come from specific, I think, unbiblical messages from the church that have created such shame and distortion around sexuality. And so for many of you, maybe your experience has been or currently is still inundated with distorted and shameful messages related to sex, sexuality, singleness, and its impact on your spiritual maturity, etc. You know, as a 90s kid, I found myself within the tension of a sexualized culture and my conservative upbringing, which emphasized a high view of abstinence and an, a low view of grace. Although I will give props to my mom who educated me on sexual development and shared with me a biblical perspective on sexuality, there weren't many other conversations and there were a lot of external messages in constant conflict with what I was being taught. The church promoted a position of almost silence and suppression with an idealized view of marriage as the end to sexual abstinence. We were encouraged to wait till marriage and pray for our future spouses, which I feel for myself personally created an unrealistic expectation and focus on the pursuit of marriage as a means by which we are completed, not a pursuit of Christ likeness. In contrast, culture has continued to promote a version of sexuality that is sexualized and dehumanizes women and men, equating one's worth and value to their sexual appeal, sexual behavior, and external appearance has distorted a high view of human life and the sacredness of sexuality in the body. I think for many, myself included, these messages and experiences in our story moved many of us to a state of shame and isolation. For some, it was secretly searching out answers or unspoken abuse that they feel like they couldn't share, patterns of sexual behavior that they couldn't speak of safely or disclose or even understand. In many ways, I find myself ever so broken by the way both the church and our culture has attempted to define or confine our sexuality. You know, from a historical perspective, we see how this has shifted. The Victorian age and the repression of sexuality causes significant damage with the rise of sexual revolution in the 1920s. We also see how sexual freedom and liberation of the revolution has increased sexual misconduct in its many forms of abuse and sexual exposure. In our current context, the stats are alarming for both sides. Did you know that one in four single adults are having sex with one or more partners? The average age for pornography exposure is now nine years old, and that puts a 90% of children eight to 16 who have viewed online sexual material. Wherever you have landed in your own process with this topic, I hope we can both agree that the extremes are doing more harm than good. You know, in my grad school program, I created a mock assessment on sexuality and administered it to adolescents and then also to those over the age of 30. My findings powerfully depicted the state of our current culture. Those who were under the age of 18 scored significantly higher on the sexualization scale than older adults. There was one specific question I found the most telling. It was this, 
Now, they were able to decide from strongly disagree to strongly agree. And it was this question. I find that my sexuality is a positive element of my personhood. Sadly, most of the scoring was closest to strongly disagree. And I believe this is where we have to start. To reclaim the goodness and God-designed beauty of human sexuality, we have to return to the origins of our creation and the truth to dismantle the many messages that have distorted and discouraged our pursuit of authenticity and integration of our sexual nature. So before we dive into a theology of sexuality, I want to define some terms that I think will be really, really helpful for us. Number one, what is sexuality? I think we have a lot of ideas on this, but let me give you some really structured definitions. The American Psychological Association defines sexuality as aspects of sexual behavior, including gender, identity, orientation, attitudes, and activity. Therefore, sexuality is comprised of one's values, attitudes, feelings, interactions, and behaviors. It is emotional, social, cultural, physical, and I would add, spiritual. Deborah Kirsch, author and Christian leader, defines sexuality even more broadly, stating this, sexuality is a deep desire and longing that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with and to and to understand that which is outside of ourselves. So it is physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual. The term I also will use throughout the episodes is this term authentic sexuality coined by licensed therapists Judy and Jack Walswick. They say this, authentic sexuality can be defined as the affirmation of the sexual in ourselves as an integral part of our total being. In this way, we embrace what God has created and agree with God it was very good. A definition by Marva Dawn in her book, Sexual Character, she explains a helpful differentiation of sexuality found in Genesis 1 and 2. She talks about social sexuality and sensual or erotic sexuality. These two are separate in the sense that social sexuality, emotional, physical, spiritual, and psychological can be found in any relationship and actually is a way of relating to anybody. So our sexuality isn't confined to the sexual act or a romantic relationship. In the context of a relationship, erotic sexuality is the intimacy found in the physical relationship. Sexuality, therefore, is not confined to sexual arousal or defined by physical drives, but encompass our intrinsic design to know and be known by others and God. Sexual brokenness is also, though, then something we have to acknowledge. This is the state of all human beings since the fall. Although our sexual brokenness may be different from one another, we can meet in a place of humility and compassion by accepting the truth that even our sexuality has been broken by the effects of sin, whether that's been done to us or of choices of our own. Sexual wholeness is also something I want to define clearly. Pastor Rich Velotis from New Life Fellowship gives this definition of sexual wholeness. He says, it is a purposeful integration of our spirituality and sexuality, resulting in deep, satisfying relationships with others that roots out shame, cultivates vulnerability, and leads to healthy bonding. He also notes that sexual wholeness does not mean moral perfection, but rather faithful discipleship. He explains that it is more about wrestling faithfully than doing everything perfectly. Okay, just a few more definitions. 
Sexualization is also something that I think is important to define. And it is defined by the APA as anything that defines a person's value by their sexual appearance or behavior. When a person is held to a standard that equates with physical attractiveness, with being sexy, or when a person's body or personhood is sexually objectified. And lastly, sexuality is sexualized when inappropriately imposed on another. These terms and the messages we associate with them deeply form us, don't they? I don't know about you, but before learning all of this, I had so many different messages about what sexuality was and what sexualization was and how I was supposed to form my beliefs around them. So this is where we come back to the idea of formation. And as we do, I want to link spiritual formation to this topic in the context of what I'm going to call sexual formation, the development of self in the context of both our spirituality and sexuality. How and what is forming our ethics around sexuality in pursuit of being made into the image of God? If spirituality is the desire and longing to know God, then sexuality is the desire we have to know and be known by people. And this is such a beautiful thing, isn't it? Today, we will focus on rediscovering a biblical view of human sexuality, which will be the foundation for our discussion on sexual formation in the next episode. And over the next few weeks, me and my friends will explore related topics such as faith and sexual orientation, the challenges of singleness, and working through our stories of sexual shame. Within my work, sexuality is a significant storyline because 95% of all therapy is about relationships. So we were made in and for relationships. And Genesis 1 and 2 speaks to this fellowship and image-bearing mark of humanity. And this is where we must anchor ourselves. So let's dive in. Let's start with creation. What does it say in scripture about creation of humanity? Well, if you remember, in the beginning, God said he saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. 1 verse 31. So the foundation of our theology on sexuality is that we are created by God and God saw how he created us and he said it was very good. In addition to this, we see in Genesis 1.27 that God specifically made man and women in his image. This is so significant. The Latin term for this is imago dea. And it is the idea that we are made in God's likeness. Dick Key's author of Beyond Identity explains that every human being bears the stamp of God's nature however they might choose to live. So therefore, our sexuality is part of our divine nature. And maybe this is hard to believe, or maybe you've never heard this before, but when we think of sexuality as something not confined to the sexual act, we see that sexuality is much more about the relational connection between both man and female, humans and God, and each one of us together. And so sex, in addition to our sexuality, was God's design. We're talking now here about erotic sexuality. 
And it says in Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25, therefore man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And in verse 25, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is such a beautiful depiction of what sexuality looked like in relationship before the fall. Two specific things stand out to me. One, they shall become one flesh. And the second, naked and unashamed. This idea of the closeness of intimacy, the height and depth of what becoming one flesh means, body to body, soul to soul, in addition, their nakedness did not create shame as much as it does in our society today. Finally, I think in addition to understanding that sexuality is part of our divine nature, that it was seen as good and sex was God's design, we also have to acknowledge that sexual desire, fulfillment of longings, draws us out of ourselves and into relationship with God and others, which means our sexuality in every aspect, both social and erotic, is about something deeper than the act itself. Our feelings, our bodies, our longings were made for and in relationship with each other. So this is the design. And in case you had never heard this before, the Bible has a high view of human beings and human bodies. Both the soul and body were created by God. And in my study and through my many conversations with friends and clients, I have found that there is a huge misconception that Christianity is somehow against the body. And this is simply not biblical. I truly believe that God's design for human flourishing cannot ignore the body. We see this throughout all of scripture. First in Psalm 149, where he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then in John 1, it says that the word became flesh, that, that Christ became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If the body wasn't good, would Christ have come in a body? In addition, I think we also see the high view of the body in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19, where Paul reminds those in Corinth that their bodies are temples of the Lord and that God's spirit dwells in our bodies. And so our bodies are to be holy, which is set apart, is this idea of a high view of what our bodies contain as divine reflections of our creator. Your body is not bad. Sin does not take away the design that God made to be good. Just like a scratch on a car, the effects of sin impact us and our bodies, but do not change our identity as image bearers. A car is still a car, right? Even if it bears the mark of damage. And so are we creations of God despite our human fallenness. We have divine within us. And because of the fall, also we have the capacity to choose outside of our original design. Okay, so with all of that being said, let's explore the biblical view of brokenness and its impact on our personhood as sexual beings. So we start with this beautiful picture of creation and sexuality and sensuality, and then it all goes wrong. The fall shattered and shifts us to a self-focused and shame state. Man, as I study this, I get so excited 
about the beauty that God created and then grieve the sin that has entered our world and impacted us in so many different ways. And scripture tells the story too, right? Just from Genesis 3 on, we see how shame impacted intimacy and led to sexual abuse and sexual assault and prostitution and incest. You name it. The Bible writes about it. Sexual brokenness is evidence of our need for grace and a new vision for sexuality. I think it's important to note here that when I use the term sexual brokenness, I'm specifically talking about an overarching umbrella concept of our fallen state as humans. Because I think oftentimes we can really accentuate sexual brokenness as a worse sin than just our fallen nature. And so when we can normalize the state of our hearts, our humanness, we have less of a combative interaction when it comes to topics of sexuality and sexual immorality. Oftentimes as a therapist, I think many of my clients come into sessions hoping to change a behavior when in actuality, I see it much more as a need for a shift of the heart posture. So how do we apply this concept of sexual brokenness to our current experience? Because I think sometimes we can read scripture and not really know how it applies to us or have it applied incorrectly and create a lot of shame and guilt that is not necessarily restorative in nature, but rather moves us away from our relationship with Christ rather than towards him. And so when I look back to scripture, I think of Jesus's words where he's talking to the crowds and he's saying specifically that it is not what someone consumes. It's not a behavioral thing that is what defiles a person, but it is the person's heart. And he says this in verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. And I think this is a really important aspect because when we're talking about sexual sin or any sin for that matter, brokenness in general, I see that in many ways we can get really stuck in the behavioral aspect of just stop watching pornography or stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or stop dot, 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 you fill in the blank, whatever the sexual brokenness we would identify with is. I think the church in general can get very prescriptive in nature. Just stop doing this. Just stop doing that. Yeah, great idea, but like how, right? Like I think we all get stuck there with, that'd be great if I could, but there's something about this addiction or behavior that both draws me in and creates so much shame in my life. And so this is the concept of sexual brokenness that cannot just be addressed with behavior management technique, but is really truly about a heart posture. And we see this in scripture over and over again, starting with Adam and Eve, right? When they chose to move outside of God's design to create goodness outside of God, there was a lot of ramifications for that. And same with us. I think we can choose goodness outside of God that in the end truly does impact our soul and our heart. And so one of the things that I go back to in scripture is asking ourselves, okay, if it's our heart posture rather than our behavior, maybe we need to take a deeper look at what brokenness means. Where's our heart at? And then I think of a passage where Jesus talks about where we are placing our treasure, right? He says in Matthew 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's about our heart posture. You know, I think of Romans 1, 
where Paul is talking about God's judgment against the unrighteous. And he says in verse 21 that although they knew God, we can know God. They did not honor him as God, right? Who is God to us? And became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts became darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. But this unrighteousness that I think every human possesses in the sense that we seek our own good outside of God in many different contexts in life can be seen as part of the redemption story. Brokenness is not the end of our story. We see in Romans 3, though, in verse 23, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and not the end of the story and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jay Springer, therapist and Christian voice, he says, either we suppress sexual desire or release it without meaning. He goes on to say that either side of this continuum has left people in a similar position of frustration and hopelessness. And I cannot agree more. This is what I find in my work so often and even in my own story. And maybe you can relate. The brokenness of our sexuality has produced shame, both as victims of other people's sin and perpetrators of our own choices. Connecting to Springer's statements, I find that we have a significant continuum in our society with the church on one end and the culture on the other, calling for disintegration of the body and soul in different ways. And messages of religious culture have promoted the idea that we are to shame or dismiss or not even speak of our body's experiences and needs. And this has done so much damage to both our bodies and our souls. In exchange, we see a world chasing after orgasm and gratification, unaware or simply not caring about what their desire and longings actually mean. There is soul significance to our passions and desires, even ones we would define as selfish or sinful. They speak to the reality that we are not mere bodies with souls, but souls with bodies. But we don't have to stay here in these two extremes. Maybe you've experienced one or both of these extremes of the fallen nature. Maybe repressing these feelings or experiences or the story that you have or not even being aware that your body is a soul and it has intrinsic value. And so where do we go from here? I believe that the gospel brings redemption and restoration to sexuality in an embodied person-centered perspective. I think it's important to note that the redemption story is a process of sanctification that happens throughout our entire lives. And Pastor Rick Velotis mentions this when he defines sexual wholeness, not as moral perfection, because that doesn't happen until heaven, but this pursuit of stewarding our sexuality well in relationships with others in an authentic and healthy way. Romans 6, 7, and 8 are such incredible reminders that through the empowerment of grace and the Holy Spirit's movement, we can have victory in the state of our humanness. And in Romans 8, it says that we are no longer bound by the condemnation, right? So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free. And this is also in combination with what Paul says about the spirit helping us in our weakness. 
For sometimes we don't even know what to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And this is why in Romans 12, it says that in light of God's mercy, his grace and goodness to justify us in our sinful state, that we are to present our bodies, our whole self, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. For this is a spiritual act of worship. Our bodies and the way we live are a spiritual act of worship. And so this is the goal. This is the heart posture to not be conformed to the world. No, that our sexuality might be a way of the gospel to show that we are not conformed to the pattern of this world, but that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. This mind, body, heart, and soul connection allows us to live a life that's different and authentic and spirit-empowered. The gospel message invites us into a new view of self and relationships, not suppressing our need for connection and intimacy. No, by encouraging it in contexts that are safe and healthy for our bodies and souls. Something that I think I've been learning even in the last several years is that my sexuality, my desire for belonging and connection and love and intimacy speaks to a deeper need than just another human being. It speaks to my desire and longing and created aspect of myself that needs the Lord. And I think it's absolutely true. And my married friends would attest to this, that even in great, healthy, beautiful relationships, we still will not have every need satisfied perfectly. And this is because we were made for eternity. And so I think it can help us have a different and maybe broader view of sexuality and sexual wholeness. Pastor John Tyson says it this way. He says, if our goal in life is to love God and love others, our bodies and how we treat our bodies connected to our sexuality can become a staggering tool for discipleship. There is a need to reclaim the role of the body and sexuality in our spiritual formation. It's saying, how do I use my body and let my desires point me to my deeper longings? It's about tuning in rather than tuning out. So let's quickly recap. One, sex is good and points to a divine and deeper union with God and with others. Sexuality is an integrated aspect of our personhood, spiritually, emotionally, physically, socially, all of the above. We have been given grace and empowerment through the gospel to live out sexual wholeness, not sexual perfection. And sexuality is a way to express the gospel to the world, that we are not just bodies wanting to be connected to bodies, but we are souls needing to be connected to souls. So what do we do with all of this? Next episode, I will be joined by my pastor and friend, Brenton Lehman, and we will explore some models for sexual formation. But before I close, I want to say one last thing. There's so much space for grace here, my friends. And I feel that the church historically has preached wounding messages on the topic of sexuality rather than normalizing and acknowledging the difficulty and damages of not speaking and leading on these topics. My prayer would be that we can together deconstruct the distortions of religiosity and the everything goes mentality and seek to rediscover a biblical vision for sexuality that is authentic, holy, 
and purposeful. If you would like to connect more to the resources I've mentioned in this episode, please check out the show notes with all of the links for podcasts, book recommendations, and sermons. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkwilliard.com. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To You podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.